My name is Scott Challoner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we're joined on today's programme by Tony Craddock, Director General of the Payments Association, a group for payments firms which helps them navigate the complexities of regulation and form profitable partnerships. Um, Tony, very warm welcome to you today and thank you for joining us on the programme. It's a real pleasure having you with us. Great, Scott, to be here. Thank you, and I'm honoured to have a chance to share my thoughts and perspectives with you and the listeners. Yes, fantastic. It's our pleasure as well welcoming you onto the uh, the programme, Tony. Now, um, I think just for those listeners that might not be familiar with the yourself and the uh, the Payments Association, I guess in your own words, what is it that the uh, that the, the group does, please, just to uh, set the scene there? So when you ask somebody... Uh, what industry you're in, it, it, it's quite often obvious. But in the case of payments, what industry is the payments industry? Everything to do with the movement of money. It's mm. a huge industry. It's got thousands of companies. And it is something that helps to make the world work because it makes it possible to move money from one person to another to help people pay and get paid uh, cheaply, uh, quickly, and securely. Um, uh, what, what we do is we help to bring the community of organizations together that make the world of payments work um, in a community of like-minded, passionate payments people to help them collaborate, innovate, um, better understand customers, and, and really to navigate the very complicated uh, world of technology, regulation, uh, and, and customers that that actually are necessary in today's fast-moving and fast-changing world. So we've, we've been around for about 15 years. Mm. I employ about 30 people. Um, uh, we are growing fast, actually, uh, about 35% a year. Um, and, and this is a reflection of, of the fact that we, we help people uh, to solve their everyday business problems in a way that's uh, easier than if they went elsewhere for them. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the business. Yeah, and you've been around, as you say, for around about 15 years, and I think you've been there for roughly eight of those, haven't you? And um, I think during that time, you've also guided the uh, the uh, association through a, a rebrand as well, haven't you? Um, I think it was, was it the Emerging Payments Association when you joined, and maybe last year that that, that changed? Well, what's fascinating about a business is that um, it's never going to end up with you where you started it. Mm. Um, and I believe really passionately in always changing what you do to make it a little bit better in iteratively small steps, as in um, uh, the, uh, the, the Sky, T- Sky TV cycling team were renowned for having 100% changes, but to do it in 1% blocks. And that's what we've done. We actually started off call, being called uh, the Global Prepaid Network, where prepaid was a part of financial services that needed a bit of community uh, bonding. And, and we rebranded last year uh, from the Emerging Payments Association, which is another iteration, to the Payments Association. We did a lot of consultation with our members because it's quite a bold step to become mm. the Payments Association. Um, but they loved the idea. Um, and uh, in fact, it kind of filled a gap because there was no industry association representing um, and being the voice for our industry until until we stepped into that space. And um Some people might say, well, that was a wonderful master plan, but it really wasn't. I was never, ever thinking that it would quite be that way, but it is. 
and uh, it, the industry has responded really positively to it. Yeah, it's really good to hear. And uh, you've been active in the payments industry um, for quite a long time now, since the early uh, the, the early two thousands. And you've also got yeah, quite a background yeah. in quite a lot of other sectors, sort of, haven't you? So you've got you've got sort of business development experience, marketing, planning, consulting. So um, I guess you've kind of learned quite a lot from your time in the industry. I think it's fair to say. Well, I I, th- I think actually that the people who who have the, the the privilege of of leading and running a business are able to experience. The, the creation of, the, the development of um, uh, something that actually helps to make the world a better place. And, and then it becomes a duty or a responsibility as the leader of that organization, I believe, to do the best you can and help other people to, to be the best they can. And, and through that process of always improving, always changing, always thinking about the impact on the world around us, We've been able to get the commercial benefits that go along with that. So, you know, the company is profitable, the shareholders are happy, uh, the members renew their membership, um, the, the, the regulators like uh, working with us, and, uh, you know, the whole thing is, 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 um, is spinning along very nicely. But it's never, I think, I think the, the key thing about a business is it's very much a journey, not the destination. Um, mm. You may have in your mind's eye, well, I'm going to set up this particular solution provider, this particular manufacturer or service provider. But you know what? In reality, it never quite ends up as you expect it to. And that's great. That's part of the, the re- rich reward that comes with being an entrepreneur and ultimately um, as a reward that comes with leading an organization. So for any young entrepreneur who might have a big idea that may be tuning into this for sort of a pearl of wisdom or a bit of inspiration, is that what you tell them to expect the unexpected and indeed embrace the unexpected? Yeah, and in fact, search for it, search out for it and, and, and challenge. Um, it's good, to, you know, the business schools will all say, write your business plan, have your clear objective and your clear focus. But as you go along, you'll discover things that, that you didn't know that you didn't know about. And you've got to be open to those things. So, yes, focus, focus, focus. That's what people always say. But if it's not quite working, I mean, I've, I've got one, one, one friend of mine who's, who's been running a business for, for 12 years in a market, and she's really struggling in it. And I kind of I felt really bad to have to say to her, there's a reason you're struggling in that business. But the one that's just to your right-hand side, that if you just reach out a little bit, is, is potentially, they've actually launched and tested and is working. You've got to be prepared to make your current business venture redundant in light of the circumstances, in light of the changing market requirements for an organization such as yourself. Um, so I'll give you a very specific example. At the very beginning of our, of our journey, we spent a lot of money and effort on providing research for our members because what they said they wanted was deep data-driven understanding and, and insights about how the market worked because it was such an early stage in the market. Mm. Now, now we don't do any market research as such. We don't do the same sort of level of research because that's not what people need. So we had to give up that. In fact, it changed the name, the nature of our, of our board of directors, and and we had to move um, one of the founding directors out of the business because his his metier, his thing was research. We no longer needed it. Now you have to be brave and make those decisions in light of the changing market and consumer requirements. If you do that then you will absolutely have a business that lasts for the test of time, built on core values around um, uh, openness and transparency and diversity, innovation, 
creativity, integrity, uh, honesty, and 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 if you have those core values, then you can evolve what you do to reflect what the market needs. That's, That's exactly what it. I would say to any young entrepreneur. That's exactly it, isn't it? I mean, you can you can change the business model to adapt to the needs of the market without sort of compromising on the key values that the business is built on. It's like changing the business yeah. model isn't the same as changing the ethos, is it? I completely agree. Completely agree. I mean, we've always, our kind of core is to believe that we are an enabler, that we don't do payments, that we keep well away from doing payments. We enable other people to do payments better, to do, to be able to facilitate the movement of money in, in, a, in an instant, uh, cheap and secure way. And, and, and we modeled ourselves, interestingly enough, on, on platform businesses that are similar to us, like um, a, a, a platform business that brings buyers and sellers together in the way in which, for example, a conference might do or a, um, a newspaper brings buyers and sellers together, advertisers and readers. Uh, Google brings buyers and sellers together. Um, and even things like a nightclub brings buyers and sellers together. So we've, we've studied the, the science of platforms and we've applied that to allow our particular community model on business-to-business relationships to work. And that's another little thing that I love to do is I love to read a great deal, study um, the kind of the science around why a particular business model works, um, and then kind of use the, the ideas that that stimulates to improve what we do. Absolutely fantastic. So essentially, uh, you've kind of changed the uh, the business model um, for your own venture that you've uh, just talked to them about there. Um, something else interestingly as well that I've spoken to some young entrepreneurs about on this program that they have struggled with when growing their own businesses is getting to the point where you know they need to kind of take a step back from the uh, the day-to-day running of the business and take on that kind of more strategic position and it is quite difficult yep. to let go of those responsibilities and that's also something Tony that you've had experience of isn't it appointing a CEO to sort of run your own business and sort of taking that step back because it's the right point to do so. Yes, I, about about a dozen or so years ago, I, I discovered the importance of focusing on the things that you're, as an individual, uniquely brilliant at doing. I, you might call it your unique ability. Um, and I realized that as a generalist, you know, I studied management science at university. I've, I've set up four different companies from the back bedroom, and some of them have succeeded. Some, a couple of them have been, well, one, one in particular was a major failure. Um, I, I, I realized that um, and this is, again, I read a, a Harvard Business Review article that talked about the different phases in the growth of a small business from the two or three man up business to the one that's got 15 to 20, and then the company that grows from 20 to, to 100 people. Um, and the nature of the leadership needed, the nature of the communication, product development, management styles, um, uh, reporting, uh, accounting, all of those things change as you go from three to 15, uh, 15 to, 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 the, to, to 100. And I was, I'd actually managed to build three businesses up to 15 people, never more than that. So what I got to at the age when I had 15 people, I realized I don't know how to do the next bit. So what, is, what I did is I focused on what I'm uniquely brilliant at doing. I think genuinely, I'm sorry to be immodest, but I think I'm really good at inspiring people about the potential journey of change they need to take to mm. capitalize on the opportunities in the market. And I brought in a chief executive. Um, I gave him some shares. Um, I gave him board responsibility. Um, he doesn't report to me. I report to the board and so does he. And it works brilliantly. And I tell you what, since doing that, the business has moved. We now got 32 people, 33 people. 
um, and was growing at this sort of pace. Um, I, that could never have been done if I'd tried to hold on to all the um, all the puppies in the pet shop. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it is difficult, isn't it? Sometimes you do have to, ha- you have no choice but to uh, but to delegate in such a way. And it's great that there is that relationship there where, of course, like I say, the board isn't reporting to you, it's the other way around. Because I think that's the, that's the, that's the role of the leader, isn't it? I mean, the leader isn't the one that everybody answers to. I mean, the leader also has to sort of be, be asked the difficult questions and also sort of pitch the difficult questions back. It's very much a two-way thing. Mm, mm, I agree. I agree completely. And it's, it's actually been, it's been really challenging um, for both, well, no, it hasn't been challenging. There is, there is something called um, uh, uh, founders syndrome, and what happens is the, is the individual who's founded the business finds it really hard to let go of certain things and becomes a real pain in the, in the backside mm. to to the new executive team. I don't think we've had too much of that because I've reached, have so much respect for my chief executive, who is so much better at doing these things than I am, and actually his team love him. I think they love me too, but I think they particularly love him because he gives them clarity, certainty, accountability, and as a result, we're able to pay our team more. We're rewarding them with share options for some of them. Um, we give them like you know bonuses and things like this because you know we're, we're we're able to afford to do so now. So it's actually worked very well for everyone. It's fantastic, isn't it, that, that you, you have to, as a leader, surround yourself with people who are better than you in some ways. You have skills that you don't yeah. have, and it seems exactly um, that like this is a perfect case in point of that. And um, yeah. something yeah. sort of um, a little bit more technical that I do want to touch on um, as well, Tony, as well, if I may, is um, you talked about, of course, um, the relationship that you have with the uh, the regulators. And, of course, that's hugely important in uh, your industry, fintech and, uh, and payments, of course. Um, obviously, when yeah. it comes to regulation, um, it's incredibly important that there is a balance there, isn't there? You don't want an industry to be under-regulated and you don't want an industry to be over-regulated. So when we think about the uh, the UK situation, um, what's your view on sort of the uh, the current state of play there? Well, I, I think we're, we're at, a, we're at a, a, an absolutely fascinating time uh, in, in the history of the evolution of, of, um, of the technology industry. Mm. Um, re- remember, a country led by its politicians, is doing, trying to do the best for its citizens. And part of that requires those leading the country, the, parla- the parliamentarians, to create the context in which people will be investing their money and entrepreneurs will be locating their businesses. Now, over the last 10 years, 10 or 15 years, we've done really well in the UK at attracting um, organizations in financial technology, fintech, or payments technology, paytech. Um, and... Um, up until about two or three years ago, we were absolutely leading the world in these two sectors. We were second only to the U.S. in terms of the number of unicorns, that billion-dollar companies mm. uh, that are set up, um, and uh, you know, having, uh, I think, a, a, a wonderful hub here of technology innovators. Last two or three years, it's been slightly different. We've we've had a restraint on a probably less popular uh, support for less support from the government. What I think we've got with the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, um, who I hope when you're listening to this podcast is still, <laughs> still the Prime Minister. Mm. Uh, we seem to be, well, I think we've had four in the last six years. It's a very mm. popular thing to be, apparently. Um, I, I, I believe that she's going to be going for a really pro-growth agenda, and I think she'll be looking at releasing the industry here from the constraints of the regulations, which have become increasingly restrictive over the last two or three years. That's a very exciting time in history. I think if this, this goes according to plan, we will have a rapid growth in the volume um, and number of organizations 
that are, that are going to be uh, capitalizing on the phenomenal opportunities around financial technology. Um, we, we're looking at more new companies being based in the UK, um, and, and the result of that will be more innovation, uh, more thought leadership. Ultimately, consumers will benefit because we'll come, become better at it, um, and it'll be a chance for us to, again, to be very proud of the, of the ecosystem that we've created and the difference we're able to make, not only in the UK, but in the world around us. Exactly right. I mean, I, I do agree with you on uh, Trust's agenda. It is very much pro-growth. It is very much kind of releasing the shackles from the industry and allowing it to fulfil its potential to bring business, big business, back into the uh, the financial sector um, in the uh, the city. So it's uh, it is an exciting yeah. time by and large. And uh, as Indeed, we yeah. Yeah, and as we start to see sort of uh, some of the new prime minister's policies taking action, and we see what impact that has. If we look ahead, say perhaps twelve months from now, um, where ideally do you sort of see the industry being? Tony, from your perspective, what sort of uh, developments would you uh, would you like to see? So, uh, a lot of it is about having the confidence to invest. Now, mm. uh, and, and the consequence of having that investment is employment, uh, uh, purchasing of services from other places. So, in other words, increased demand, um, salaries being paid, and tax being paid. It actually feeds back into growing the the economic. Uh, in growing the economy. What I'd like to see in the next 12 months is increased clarity and confidence, and I think we will see this, around things like uh, technical things in our industry. I think like open banking, the ability mm. to pay from one bank to another bank, sorry, from one person to another person through a bank rather than through a payment scheme. We're using data and information about that transaction to help the buyer and the seller to get more value. So I think Open banking is going to be clearly defined and grow. I think we're going to be looking at more clarity around something in our industry that's called central bank digital currencies and stable coins. Again, these are technical things, but they're, but they're potentially a very rapid growth area. Um, and, and increased clarity around the use of uh, new products like request to pay and, and things that, um, that uh, stop fraud and money laundering because that's always the... Uh, the devil in the detail around payments is you mm. want to make sure that the fraudsters are not getting away with sealing your stuff, and you want to make sure that the money isn't being laundered through the system in a way that prevents, um, or that in a way that, uh, if we're not careful, enables uh, terrorist finance um, uh, and other sort of um, uh, bad uses of money. Mm. So I'm, I'm I'm very confident, but it's about getting more clarity, and that's what I'm expecting to see in the next twelve months. Exactly. And of course, insidious money laundering, it's come into the headlines in recent months again with um, all of the news about some um, sort of Russian oligarchs and the situation in Ukraine. So that is, uh, there's, there's oh. a real urgency to uh, to address that, isn't there? Something certainly to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it is It is a very, I mean, I'm very pleased to see that the, uh, that the Russians have been excluded from the system. We've got to continue to exclude them. Um, Unfortunately, and I'm rather ashamed of this, the, the UK has benefited from oligarchs' money in the past, but that's the past. That cannot happen in future. We can only have clean money, good money, that knows that we know where it's coming from and where it's going to. And that's part of our industry's responsibility, is to enable us to track and trace where money comes from and where it's going to, to prevent money laundering uh, from happening on our shores. Absolutely right. And uh, thinking about that sort of same time period, the next 12 months, um, for yourself and the Payments Association, Tony, just before we wrap up, um, are there any major milestones ahead or anything you're seriously sort of looking to achieve this coming year? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, what we're trying to do is, is increase the level of engagement of our community members. Mm. And um, we've just invested a great deal in some technology, actually, that enables us to do that in a smarter way. Um, people want people want more personal um, and less general communication. And what I, I think in terms of milestones, I think um, for us to be able to um, continue to support uh, the the regulators on the one hand, while also helping the parliamentarians to come up with some breakthrough thinking around the adoption of new technologies, particularly um, uh, stable coins and CBDCs. That's what I'm hoping to have is continued support for the regulators on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, to get the parliamentarians to have the confidence and the courage to come up with some breakthrough uh, changes in how well we operate in those particular technical areas. And let's certainly hope we do see those changes. And um, it would be fantastic for me as well, Tony, to perhaps even welcome you back onto the show in a few months' time when we've seen some shift in the market just to kind of see exactly what is happening and whether it is indeed the uh, the change that we're hoping for. And uh, just as well for anybody listening into this podcast uh, that's been tuning in and is interested in the Payments Association and the work that it does, um, you can find out more. Is it thepaymentsassociation.org, Tony? That's the best website for you. That's the best one. Love to hear from you. And if I can help anybody out there on their journey, I'd be delighted. And thank you so much, Scott, for inviting me on to share a few um, a few insights with, uh, with your audience. Fantastic. And if anybody does have anything to say about this particular podcast or anything that we've discussed, uh, you can leave comments via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us as well. And if you head your own organisation or business and you feel that you have your own story to share, either connected with these issues or any other topical matter that may be relevant to your industry, you too can apply to be on our programme to share your perspective with us via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Um, for now, you've been tuning into the Leaders' Council podcast with myself, your host, Scott Challoner. It's been a pleasure to welcome Director General of the Payments Association, Tony Craddock, alongside me for today's show. Uh, Tony, do take care um, and uh, stay safe with all still going on. And to all of our listeners, take care yourselves and goodbye also. Until next time.